Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, joined today by Jackson Frank. Uh, first of all, if you don't follow Jackson on Twitter, definitely do that. Jackson's one of my favorite follows. I uh, always love talking hoops with him. He writes over at Dime, The Step Back, and Liberty Ballers for SB Nation as well. And be sure to check out his Patreon. He releases some great stuff. And most importantly, go check out his latest piece on Jason Tatum's passing improvement. Um, it was probably my favorite read. That was, uh, was that Thursday? I think that was on Thursday it came out. Thursday or Friday? Uh, Saturday, I believe. Saturday, <laughs> you know, that's, that's my kind of week. Man. <laughs> You're getting there. You're on the right track. You're well. You know, I'll just. There's only seven days. I'll get it eventually. Um, first <laughs> exactly. of all, how are you doing, man? It's been uh, probably about a month since I talked to you. How have things been going? Uh, things been good. It's been. I will say, as fun as it is to have basketball all day, it is a lot less stressful from a viewing and analysis standpoint to just have two or three games to focus on each day. Um, so I have enjoyed these semifinals with a kind of a routine schedule over here on the West Coast of, of 3.30 and 6 p.m. each day um, rather than waking up and it's like you got an hour to do all your stuff and then basketball starting at 10 a.m. or whatever, 9 a.m. So uh, I, I am doing well. I've been able to kind of settle into a routine during these playoffs in this round at least. Yeah, I agree. That's, uh, that was something really different for me too. When, uh, when the bubble first started up, it was awesome. And I still loved it. I mean, the basketball was great, but I mean, the days were just like, I mean, like I was just going on about, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what day it is now. I mean, once that's how I know basketball is back. I told my girlfriend that I think last week because um, I, I had no idea what the day of the week was. And I was like, wow, basketball really is back. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so getting through the, the first round of the playoffs with school on top of it and everything's just like, oh, wow. But we're through it. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, you know, the first thing I want to ask you is just your thoughts in general on how the playoffs are going and uh, overall quality of play and um, just – Whatever, you know, throw shit at the wall. What do you think, man? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of it has gone as I expected, but also I've gotten a lot of things wrong. Um, I, I mean, obviously the biggest thing is I'm, I'm just surprised at how, how poor Bucks have looked. Um, yeah. You know, I think there are warning signs. Uh, I mean, they started last year and they, um, you know, they didn't adjust last year and, and you know, Giannis had some issues against a well-coached team with big wings that could, you know, you know, deter some of those those face up drives or whatever you want to call them, attack from the perimeter. Um, so that's been the biggest thing. Um, but also, a lot of like the, the, the shot making has been incredible. I mean that 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 Utah Denver series wasn't one I I really had circled um, coming into the first round, but that that ended up being like two two games in where it's like I gotta I gotta watch that. I gotta make sure I'm I'm available for that. I gotta make sure I, I can I can clear out my schedule and whatnot. Um, so those have been kind of the two biggest things. But then. I tweeted it a few days ago. It feels like these playoffs, even more so than others, have really kind of exposed, uh, you know, if you have one weak point, whether it's coaching, a, a schematic dis- disadvantage, uh, you have a weak point offensively, defensively, that's really going to be uh, highlighted and, and, and exploited. Um, maybe that's kind of a, a reflection of how flat these playoffs seem. There's not one one or two teams that are kind of head and shoulders uh, above everyone else, but it, it really has stood out to me how, how much, uh, you know, weak points have been exploited and allowed – some of these series be closer than we anticipated. Yeah, that's a really great point because, especially speaking on top of the, uh, you know, the playoffs being flat a little bit. 
up until, you know, two days ago, I, uh, I, my, my takeaway was that Boston was looking like, I mean, not that, not that I think they were going to necessarily win the title, but they were probably in, in terms of how the playoffs were going, they were my, you know, team that looked most consistent in, in terms of both sides of, of the ball. And uh, Tatum obviously has been playing incredibly well. Um, and then they've lost two straight to the Raptors. I mean, it's just back and forth with each series, which makes great for viewing, but it's very hard to kind of discern where each team's going. Um, and I, I really like your point about the shot making as well. That's something I'm really – I want to track a little bit for next season. Uh, that's obviously a ways away. But, I mean, obviously with TJ Warren, you know, blowing up in the bubble when it first started. I mean, Jamal Murray and uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, it's really funny because I, I was speaking to Adam Mares, uh probably two weeks ago, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He, he's yeah. big over at DNVR, and I love his stuff. And we were talking about Jamal and, and Donovan, and it's like – yeah, Denver doesn't have the greatest defense, and Utah's defense slipped this year as well. But to your point about the shot making, I mean, Jamal and, and Donovan, the, the step backs that they were hitting, anything that they were doing from three was just like you, Kawhi, Scottie Pippen, whoever's out there, like that is just the damn tough shot that they're hitting most of the time. So it's, I, I agree, it's been very, very crazy. And uh, outside of the latest Clippers game, I mean, Kawhi has just been automatic from mid range. Um, Caitlin Cooper, my colleague at Indy Cornrows, uh, put it up, I think, in the middle of that game. She said, if you drop somebody in today without ever having heard anything about analytics, they'd wonder why everybody wasn't taking 16-footers that were contested. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's, uh, it's just that's how the playoffs have been, man. Um, but, you know, anyways, what we're getting into today, and, you know, actually, I didn't get to tell you about this before we got on. I, I'm doing this as a podcast series, uh, kind of as an off-season perspective, talking about um, everything that the Pacers have to look at in kind of a mirror check heading into next season. And I think one of the biggest talking points and, and why I really wanted to bring you on was to talk about Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis um, and kind of the impasse there um, where yeah, obviously both players are clearly fives in today's game. Um, and they made it work for the most part this season, but I think there are a lot of things to look at on both sides for each player um, and then just kind of come at it from a team's team perspective. Um, so I think the first thing that I would ask you, though, uh, in looking at Indiana's roster, what do you think about where the team is at and where they're headed, just from an outsider's perspective? Yeah, they're, it's, it's so interesting. This is a team that, you know, I, I think isn't necessarily one that a lot of people talk about from a mainstream perspective and for a number of reasons, whether it be a, maybe the smaller market or um, whatever. But, like, they're at a really kind of like a crossroads, it feels like, with – not exactly knowing what type of Victor Oladipo they're going to have. Um, he was really up and down in his what, 25, 30 games, whatever, after the, he came back from injury. Um, saw some pretty good high points in terms of not, not, not at the level he was when he broke out and won most of your player, but like someone who's like you can, you can rely on to be an all-star um, in certain games. And then you saw some really low points where he struggled with shot making, he struggled with decision making and his handling. Um, so I, I really don't know exactly what type of trajectory they're on. They could take a few different routes. They could, you know, this isn't something they would ever do, but they could, if they wanted to, they could sell off a lot of these cult quality players and blow it up. Um, I know that's not something that, you know, their front office has historically done, but um, they have the, they have the, enough good players if they want to, they could really, you know, nab some young guys and also acquire future assets in the draft. But um, I, I would like to see, see them stay with it. I think this team is good enough to, get home court advantage in the playoffs. 
Uh, I know they were the four seed this year, but they were the four slash five. It was inconsequential. It was, yeah, it was a uh, little bit of a false four seed, as we saw yeah, in the and first round. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously no no home court advantage anyway. So, but I think this is a team that is good enough to win a series. And they've they came close back in 2018 against the Cavs, um, and they really struggled with some injury dis or bad luck, um, missing their best player the last two years against good teams. So uh, I would like them to stay with it and see kind of just who they hire as head coach. Um, they can get in the draft and they only have one, they have a second round pick, but well, they can do in free agency. So uh, I think that's where they would go, but I wouldn't, I, I understand there's another way they could go with it in terms of, you know, maybe just selling off some of their assets and trying to really reach for that, that high goal of, you know, being a title contender or an Eastern Conference finals contender, but um, hasn't necessarily you know, risk averse. I think is kind of a way you can phrase or label the, the front office the last few years with its moves. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Pretty much my entire lifetime. That's how – as long as the Simons are in, in, in ownership, it's going to be like that as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, you know, to an extent, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I like that the team's always competitive. And I think they're a team where it's um, it's interesting because you, you get kind of a reality check with it a little bit. I grew up in Cleveland, so I, um, I wasn't really a Cavs fan growing up, though. Uh, I, I just fell in love with the Pacers. Um, but – uh, you know, people have talked about the Pacers as being a mediocre team, at least from Indiana. You know, obviously it's been kind of breathtaking to see how, how people talk about the team and have seen it, especially with Nate McMillan's firing. Um, and they, they actually view Indiana much more of a positive light than I think fans do. Um, and I think it's unfair to say mediocre. I mean, it's a team that's on the cusp of 50 wins every year. And obviously they have struggled getting out of the first round. I think that's, that's pretty clear. And um, I think after things boiled down and some stuff came out, especially from the Indy star, um, there were legitimate reasons for why coach McMillan got fired. Um, but to, I think to call the team mediocre is a stretch, you know, um, I, I wonder what are your opinions on that? Yeah. I, like I, said, I don't think they're mediocre at all. I mean, they were like, that's when, again, it comes down to what type of Victor Oladipo they can get next year and what his plans are. Um, obviously it seems like there's some contention around, what he's going to do and if he's even interested in staying long-term after his contract expires after this next season, right? Is that because he's in the go bear and the Giannis uh, class. Yeah, he's yeah, he's for the, off season. The new well, not this yeah. one, but the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think mediocre is fair. When I think mediocre, I think like 42 and 40, 43 wins, 40 wins, um, just scrounging its way into the playoffs. And that's not what Indiana has been at all the last few years. Um, it's been a team that like we, like we mentioned, uh, is right there on the verge of that four or five seed, um, kind of within earshot of the three seed um, some years. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a dis- disservice and discredit to what, what the organization's built and what it's able to do through all these kind of weird uh, times. Obviously, it didn't look very encouraging when Paul George wanted to leave, and they were able to really – they were able to work through that very impressively. So um, I'm still pretty optimistic about Indiana. I don't think there are a lot of – I don't think there are a lot of teams that – you know, have a collection of very good players and a, you know, at least a competent front office um, that wants them to remain competitive. So um, I think that, yeah, that would undersell them. And I, I really do hope they, they stick with it. Um, and that yeah, maybe they can, they can repair or bridge whatever gap there is between them and Oladipo, because I think this is a really good team. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised next year if we're talking about them as a 51 team or a, you know, a three seed or something like that, that you know, really does look like it's projected to make the second round. So yeah, I, I I would be higher on them than that than that that phrasing suggests. Definitely good. Um, so obviously, you know what we're talking about. 
Uh, would you rather talk about Turner's bonus first? Obviously, I think it's going to end up flip-flopping between the two uh, as, as we have a little bit of discourse. But um, I'll leave it up to you. Who do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's go Sabonis first. Okay. All right, cool. Um, so obviously I have my own thoughts on Sabonis. I think, um, the way that I kind of look at, obviously I'm already flip-flopping between the two. I think the way that I look at it a little bit, and it's, it's weird to talk about because I think sometimes there's an area, like obviously Sabonis was an all-star this year, but people always talk about Miles Turner's upside and potential. And they're actually the same age. They're both 24. Um, and, uh, I mean, Miles was drafted before Sabonis because he played longer in college. Uh, but, I mean, Sabonis, obviously incredible post-hub. Um, I think he was sixth sixth or seventh in the league in touches this year. Um, just basically runs the entire offense. And we, we saw in the playoffs how important he was to the team. Um, I still think they lose to the Heat even if he's there. But, uh, alas. Um, but – it's, it's interesting because then you bring in things like scalability and the way that playing styles impact everyone else on the team. And I don't know. I think there actually there's, – there's a lot of questions that come up about uh, who you build around, I think. And I, I just from all, all the reporting that I've, uh, I've heard and everything that I'm aware of, I think the team is looking towards moving on from, from Miles Turner. Um, I, obviously, I, that's nothing to aggregate. That's just my knowledge. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting quandary. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sabona is really good. And I think the, the fun way I kind of phrase that, or not phrase it, just like I've always thought about, or thought about this year when I watched Indiana, it was like, like almost a, like a slightly like discount version of the Nuggets um, with how they run things. You know, you've mm-hmm. got your big, it's European big man is a very good passer, and you run a lot of stuff with the elbows and the, po- the post room, and you've got these cutters and the softball movement. Um, so I really enjoyed it this year. Like I, I very much enjoyed watching Indiana and watching Sabonis thrive as this this offensive nucleus. Um, but I do think there is very much a, a ceiling with him um, as your offensive centerpiece, as you mentioned with the with the scalability. One, he's he's kind of a middle of the road to slightly below average rim protector for a big. Obviously, he doesn't accrue a lot of blocks, but I think he is. He's better than those numbers suggest, at least in terms yeah. of affecting stuff. Um, and he doesn't shoot threes. Some of that, you know, you could you could attribute that to schematics and whatnot with McMillan. Maybe um, I know there's been complaints about some of how he how he shapes his shot profile for his teams. Um, but yeah, I think it's really tough for to to thrive at the highest level with your best player um, being a center who doesn't invoke a lot of fear as a rim protector or stretch the floor at a high level. So, um, I guess, I guess, I mean, I guess it's funny cause that's kind of who Jokic is too. Yeah. Um, but obviously there are levels too, you know, Jokic is oh, yeah. the best passing big man and, um, someone you can, you, you can win 55 games or whatever with as your best player. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's a tough spot. And again, it kind of speaks to what, what this organization wants to get out of this kind of core group of Turner, Sabonis, Brogdon, Warren, um, if they're content winning 50 games and being a, a three or four, two, then I have no, I would have no inclination to move on from Sabonis. He's very good. He's a top 30-ish player. Um, he's someone who should be contending for an all-star game or all-star appearance for the next X amount of years. Um, so I, in that sense, I think with what Indiana, you know, as we talked about, what Indiana has shown as a decision-making group, um, there's no need to, to be selling him. Um, but it's just you have to at least have to acknowledge that you are, you are inherently capping how good you can be around this guy who's not going to, who loses some playoff ability as we saw last year in the, against Boston and really struggled when Boston sat on his left hand and, and whatnot. He struggled to retain some, some, so much of his value as a scorer. Obviously he took a step forward this year as a player and a scorer, but 
Um, I still think there are significant issues with how much he can, you can run stuff through him in the, the playoffs. Teams are able to kind of exploit his lack of shooting and his lack of a, a comfortable right hand. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really great point. And I, so I think for me, that's where the scalability comes into play because you, I think obviously, I mean, Domas is um, miles better than miles currently. Um, yeah. I mean, with miles, just in case people listening, don't aren't, you know, aware of the term scalability. I mean, it's about how a guy's playing style um, and you can chime in as well if I speak, but it's basically on how a guy's playing style can scale in terms of the kind of team he's on or where he's at in, in his role or like what kind of role he has. So like, you know, Miles as a guy who can shoot threes and protect the rim. Uh, well, I think he does need a bigger role to maximize himself as a player. I mean, he can have a lower role and still be an impactful player, but if Domas is instead of, uh, you know, kind of the quasi number one guy, cause there really wasn't a number one guy on the team this year, but mm-hmm. um, if he's moved down the, the role hierarchy to like a fourth or fifth guy and he's just used as a role man, he loses a ton of value. Um, so I think that's where it really comes into play. And you, again, I agree. I don't think Sabonis is ever going to get moved by this team, at least not on his current contract. I would be surprised. Um, but with Miles, you think about how things could change offensively. And I think one thing I wonder about too, and uh, just if he – Part of it, I, I, I want to ask you about what you think on on Miles and where he's at as a player and where he's headed because um, I think he's just the guy to me. He screams out like he's almost like the Jeff Green of centers, and I don't mean that in a bad way because I grew up watching Jeff Green, and I loved, I loved him. I thought he was just great um, because I didn't quite understand basketball as well when I was in middle school. Um, but, I mean, with, with Miles, especially we saw it in, in the bubble a lot, He's so caught in between his role, uh, trying to do what the team wants him to do and doing what he's best at. I mean, he's one of the biggest record scratch guys on three-pointers in the league, uh, which is so painful because, you. I mean, I would be comfortable with him shooting seven or eight times from three a game uh, just for the gravity that that would create. Um, And, I mean, there are times where he'll have complete mismatches in the post and he isn't allowed to – he doesn't get a chance to utilize them. Uh, or if he does, I mean, he just struggles to capitalize sometimes. And it's, it just brings in a lot of, you know, how much of it is environment? How much is confidence? How much is this, that? You know, I'd, he's at a very interesting point in his career and where he could be headed as a player. Yeah, um, I think it was two, two years ago, going into Miles' third year, right? he just finished his fifth, fifth year? Yeah. So yeah. I, um, I wrote a piece on B-Ball Breakdown. I have no idea if that site is still functioning. Um, actually, just about, I, I'm not I just, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It's been years since I, I wrote there. Um, but just about kind of where Miles Turner's at, and uh, and I, what I was most encouraged by, you know, last year at least, um, so the 2018-19 season, I thought he made pretty big improvements, like in terms of his short roll passing, and he looked a lot more mobile on switches. It was something that you saw in flashes his first couple of years in terms of mobility, but um, was still a little stiff and was able to, able to get blown by a lot. But I thought he improved that. Um, and then this year, it just kind of felt like he took a step back to an extent. Obviously, he upped his three-point rate, which was important. Um, but that was also accompanied by a pretty significant drop in efficiency. Um, and that's, that's kind of natural. That just sometimes happens. But uh, I think from an outside perspective, a lot of people will say, like, uh, you know, he only shoots four threes a game, or only shot two and a half years prior. Um, that's just because McMillan is an antiquated style offensively. But there are a lot of times where Miles gets the ball wide open over pick and pop or on a catch and shoot when the ball's swung around and he is hesitant. And um, I don't think that's I don't think that's a product of coaching. I think that's just has more to do with his lack of confidence and yeah. 
yep. is kind of he is processing things slower than you like as a big man and someone who's in an ancillary ancillary role. She's uh, tripping my words there, but <laughs> um, just that idea that he's not quite the the, the quick snappy decision maker you'd like from someone who's playing a complementary role on offense. Um, and so I'm still pretty optimistic. As you mentioned, the scalability is there. I think you can switch in a pinch. He's obviously a very, very different protector. Um, one of the best in the league. And it kind of goes uh, unrecognized or under talked about among some groups. Um, when you let me talk about the best room protectors. Um, and so I, I think he is someone who, yeah. And if in, in a new home, a new environment, maybe he just has a coaching staff that preaches more confidence in him. And that, that kind of, you see that internalized in him or something, but, um, yeah, I think blaming the coaching staff for some of his confidence, his offensive issues is kind of letting him off the hook. And uh, But I still do think he is someone who has a lot of interesting utility as an offensive player. Um, I don't think it would be something that's who grades out really highly among metrics or among on-off splits offensively, but I think he's someone who can add a lot of value because of his floor spacing and um, ability to uh, exploit some mismatches in the post. Obviously, he still has some pretty significant core issue core strength issues that you know don't allow him to get really deep position all the time um but i but i do really like miles turner still as a long-term starter somewhere um just not someone you want as your second or third best player um which he hasn't really ever been asked to do that in indy but i think you know there have been times where he's he had to be that and that has kind of hurt them in in some capacity yeah yeah definitely i think those are all great points and i i really like your point on core strength i wish that it was easier for people to understand that. Cause that's been one of the things that, you know, I, I always, uh, I don't want to say I'm critical of miles, but I, I, I will say when, when he has uh, uh, actually, I think almost every single post game podcast I did during the bubble, I had a segment on miles record scratching from three and being unwilling to shoot and how much I just wanted to bang my head against the wall. Um, but, you know, in talking that core strength, I think miles, it's, I wouldn't say that he's like unathletic, but in terms of, the, the way that the center position has evolved. He's not incredibly fluid. He's more of a mechanical athlete. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think watching his tape from, from running the court when he was in Texas compared to now is crazy. Like, I mean, he's, his running form is not like picturesque now, but at Texas, Oh my God, man, it was awful. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, <laughs> but it was, it was abysmal. Um, and he really just doesn't have great flexion in his, in his lower body. And he doesn't have a lot of lower body strength either, which you know causes him to really have some issues in the post, especially as a post defender. I'd actually say, I mean, Domas is definitely a better post defender. When he doesn't foul, he he uh, improved on not fouling this year. Um, but I mean, he just doesn't have the strength to contend with somebody like Joel Embiid, which you know nobody really does. But that's <laughs> so it's a high high watermark. But I mean, the joke anybody, I always yeah, the joke I always say is if Sixers fans only watched the Pacers when they play the Sixers, they'd think Miles Turner is not an NBA player because of the, <laughs> yeah. the poor things that, that Joel Embiid does to him. Yeah, it's uh, dude, it's it's tough to watch. Oh my god, I think I can't remember the last time that he didn't get three fouls <laughs> and get pulled in the first three minutes of the game. Uh, and I really think part of it is just it's it's got to be mental at that point. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to watch. Like I I don't know, but I really do think. Um, he has a world of potential still, but oh yeah, just like going off that point. I mean, I think people will always talk about like, oh, Miles is soft, Miles is this. I'm like, at some point, we just have to acknowledge he does not have the strength to be a good post defender. He does not have the the necessary requisite athleticism to be like a phenomenal post defender, and that's okay. So I always hate like that talking point. It always gets me a little frustrated. Yeah, and I I think I, I think it's tough because. You know, Embiid is arguably the best center. 
in, in the league, and it feels like every year the Pacers and Sixers are vying for a for a seeding for a seed, whether it's the four, the five, the three. Um, that was a three a couple of years ago, back back Ben Simmons rookie year. Um, and so those games always feel really important. And then you watch this guy is supposed to be your starting center, supposed to be an all defensive caliber guy, uh, foul out or a foul trouble every single time against this dude. It can be frustrating in these games that feel like they carry more weight than than one against the Cavs or you know or the the Suns or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think, but but at the same time, I don't think post defense is that valuable from game to game. I think obviously it is against Embiid. But there aren't – I mean, Embiid is literally the best post score in the NBA by, like, a fairly significant margin. I oh, think yeah. Cat's, prob- Cat's probably the second best, and um, games against the Timberwolves for the next couple of years aren't probably going to matter that much anyway. So, <laughs> um, no disrespect to them. They're, obviously, they're just on a, they're in a different timeline than, than the Sixers. So, um, yeah, I think – but generally speaking, most most teams or games, you can get away with Turner being an underwhelming post defender and just value his, his – somewhat switchability is really, really good rim protection is rotations and verticality. So um, I get both sides of it, but for the most part, I don't think, you know, people should be haggling too much over his post defense because it's such a generally speaking inconsequential thing against even, even most good teams. I mean, the, the Raptors don't have anyone, even the, I mean, the Bucks have Brooke Lopez, but they're not running a lot of offense from there. And uh, the Raptors uh, and Celtics, I mean, the Celtics don't really have anyone right now. So um, Cantor's not in the rotation, so, which he usually isn't, but, yeah, so I, I still like. I mean, I mentioned I'm still pretty high on Turner, but I definitely do think there he has lowered his ceiling a good bit, which is from his stagnation offensively the last couple of years. Even if he's emerged as a very, very good defensive center despite his post limitations. Definitely. And so, looking at Sabonis, then um, one thing that that I look at with him and and his development moving forward because I do expect him to be you know the guy who stays in Indiana um, because I, you know Kevin Pritchard and his uh, his post-mortem presser that he did last week uh, talked about how the NBA is going to have a very active trade market. And that's essentially GM speak, in my opinion, for saying Indiana is going to have a very active trade market. Otherwise, I don't think he would have said that. Um, not to put words in his mouth, but I, you know, for the most part, GMs don't necessarily speak out of turn on things that are going to happen if they, they're not actually working on something. Um, so I'm really excited about, A, I think um, with him, I agree. He's very similar to Miles where I think uh, he's just hesitant to, to shoot from three. You see so often. Um, one of the things that was always like tough to watch because, you know, winding down in the shot clock or late in the fourth quarter, um, he would go to run his customary DHO on the left-hand side with Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, they would ball deny Malcolm Brogdon, and then uh, Sabonis would look left, <laughs> look right, and then end up looking at the basket, dribbling into 18 feet. And he actually shot like decently well from uh, from long mid this year. But at the same time, it's like it's a completely stag- complete stagnation of the offense, and you see how far centers lay off of him. So I'm really, I even if he doesn't shoot well, I want him to maybe take to a game. I, I don't want him to be like some, you know, he doesn't have to be Carl Anthony Towns because that's not the player he is. But I, I do think that's an aspect I hope to see improve because I think if he can do that, um, that can open up more lanes across the middle of the floor. Uh, just open up way more for cutting. Cause I don't know. I, I'd love to get your perspective on this, but I think uh, one of the biggest issues with Indiana's offense is their lack of cutting and they have great cutters. I think TJ Warren is one of the highest rated cutters in the league. And just, you know, that matches up with, yeah, he's, well. he's, he's incredible like, there. He's really, really, really good there. Um, he actually has, it's kind of funny to look at. He's one of, I think he's in the bottom 5% of defensive rebounding 
uh, among wings, which makes sense. He's not a very good defensive rebounder. He's caught no man's land so often. I always harp on that. Like you either box your guy out or you get the rebound, I think. And he always has the issue of um, he's, he's not sure if he wants to box his guy out, but he also <laughs> wants to get the rebound. So he always ends up missing the, the board or his guy gets the ball. Um, he's just but, playing um, pickup ball. Everyone does that. Exactly, he, he's exactly. just one of us. I get it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, hey, we don't. You don't have to box out on the blacktop. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but on the offensive glass, he's in like the 90th percentile among wings. Um, and then Malcolm Brogdon's an awesome cutter as well, which I think with him getting off ball more, that would help as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's something I really hope to see. Just much more motion off ball because so often there's one or two actions and then the play dies. And that's and then you ISO on Bam Adebayo for some reason. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting, like you mentioned, it, it's there's there is a decent amount of motion in Indiana's offense, but it's all schemed and you like you mentioned you'd like to see more instinctual, instinctive, impromptu stuff. Um because you mentioned with Warren, like, it's so funny. He's such a methodical on-ball player, but he is a really, really good cutter, which is kind of something you wouldn't expect from someone who is, who is so calculated and methodical when he has the ball in his hands as a creator. So, yeah, I think tapping into that more would be awesome. Like, he especially is good from those baselines when he's, when he's in the corner, um, lurking along there, and then just kind of gradually or, or quickly ducking in there. Um, but with Sabonis, what's interesting, you know, you mentioned, I, I think with Turner, some of his issues as a, as a shooter could be confidence and worry that he's going to get pulled for taking a dumb three. With Sabonis, that's never going to happen. Like, he is the offensive centerpiece. <laughs> yes. or at least he, he was most of the year. He's going to, like, he takes a three or something. Like, he's not going to eat yanks. Like, they need him so badly to create and initiate stuff offensively. So, with him, it's even more, not more because he's not as good a shooter, obviously, in terms of the track record. But you would like to see a guy who has a long leash offensively try some of this stuff more. And to his credit, I mean, he took a few more this year, obviously. He, over, he tripled his three-point rate, obviously, only from, like, 2% to 7%, 7.9%. So, um improve but still i mean that's that's very much on, on the yeah, scale of importance it doesn't mean anything really so um you want you want a big leap when you're that low already so yeah i would definitely like to see him do more of that um i mean you saw him you saw him i think part of it too is he was so mis misutilized in okc's rookie year as a floor spacer um had a three-point rate above 30 percent um his true shooting was below 47 percent um obviously he broke out a lot in indiana indiana when he was in a place that you know understood him more as a player so um, I get it to an extent, but even then, as, as a guy who um, has such a long leash and so much freedom offensively, he should be more confident and, and willing to let it fly in those instances you mentioned. Because, yeah, that, that drives me, drives me crazy with some of those non-shooters. Um, not non-shooters, but guys who are hesitant. Um, happens with Miami sometimes, too, with Bam. Obviously, I, I think Sabonis is a better bet as a shooter than Bam, but the same thing where they run this DHO stuff and um, the guys sag off and the other defender denies the handoff and you're just watching a guy stand at the 18-foot line or the 22-foot line doing pivots, uh, pirouettes. So, yeah, I think that's definitely a key for him, um, kind of how Indiana views him in terms of maybe getting another guy that can portion some on-ball usage from him. Um, be more, they'd be more confident in that happening if, if Sabonis is a better uh, floor spacer and more willing floor spacer. Yeah, definitely. I, I really like those points. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, you went to Gonzaga, right? And were you there around the time that Sabonis was? Uh, I, so I believe so. Sabonis was the 16 draft, I believe. I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so I was the next year. So my first year was uh, that Zach Collins, Nigel Williams, got that team. Oh, the okay. Final oh, four. that team was fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I, my, <laughs> I got very lucky going there, right? As Gonzaga kind of made yeah. its, its rise, um, first Final Four of the mid. Sweet 16 the next year, Elite Eight uh, the year after. And then obviously this year was was canceled, but they were in line to be one seed. So, yeah, so so, so I wasn't 
I don't really have any like devotion or allegiance bonus because I, I didn't choose to, I didn't choose Gonzaga until after that tournament run happened. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but he, he was there the year before me. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I saw some of them and, you know, it's the same thing where he didn't really shoot much at, at Gonzaga. Um, few, Mark Few is pretty notorious for, um, limiting, limiting offensive bigs floor spacing, or at least that's at least the statistical track record. I don't know internally there, but, uh, what, what he's telling guys, but that is what it shows on tape. Um, but yeah, obviously a really good player and he, he's, I'm from Portland. He, he was born in Portland because his dad, Arvidas, you know, was playing here uh, for a few years. Um, but, but yeah, it's been really cool to see him um, become the best, the best pro zag. And obviously they're going to continue to get more guys in the next few years. But um, I, I do think, you know, for him to really, really maximize his value as a player, it's, it's going to come down to the, that three point shot. So he can play off the ball more and because he's just not quite good enough to, to really be your offensive centerpiece on a really, really good team. I agree. Um, and it's actually really funny, too, because I think um, his OKC year, I mean, I get why he was used as a floor spacer to an extent, um, I guess. Uh, but it's so funny because I remember I watched that. I, I was one of the lucky dogs who watched Gonzaga that entire year. And I was like, oh, wow, the modest bonus is a lot. He's going to be a lottery pick. He's incredible. They're going to run through the tournament. So I picked them to go all the way to uh, I think I had them going to the Sweet 16 that year. And that's where they ended up losing. Um but it's just so wild because I remember watching that run, watching that team that year, and then watching how he's utilized in OKC, and I hated every second of it. So I'm like, this is – I mean, he took like 33s his entire college clear, career, if that. Um, and then he gets yeah, to Indiana. 14. Yeah. yeah, 14. Oh, my God. That's even worse <laughs> than I thought. Uh, and then he gets to Indiana. I'm like, well, they're actually going to use him right. I Because I, I remember everybody was so out on him. Obviously, I'm not trying to harp myself up and say that I believe in the trade. I was, I mean, Paul George was the player I grew up watching. I thought, you know, he, he's st- still markedly better than uh, either Sabonis or Oladipo. But, I mean, the return you get is it, the best that you're going to get for, um, you know, shipping out uh, the best player in your franchise. Um, but it, it's, I, I don't know. I just always thought that was so funny the way that people were so out on on Sabonis right away. And then it's like, Oh, imagine that he actually gets played in a, in a scenario where he gets to do the things he's good at. And it's, 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 uh, it's funny. Cause I think there's such an interesting way that, that people look at, at players. And um, I, I obviously, I'm, I'm sure you play 2k as well. I grew up playing 2k, 2k all the time. And you like get these ratings associated with people. And um, I think what's so important to realize, and this is more just a philosophical thing. You look at guys and they're, for you know whatever we'll say ratings it changes on the team you know and it changes in their role I think that's such an important thing to look at I mean you look at a guy like I mean TJ Warren he was utilized more in an off-ball role and he's still fairly off-ball I think uh I'm getting way too caught up into too many different directions but I mean (laughs) you just look at how differently guys are used in scenarios I mean Victor was a mainly a catch-and-shoot guy when he was with, with OKC and obviously that's not the kind of player he is um it's just an interesting thing to, to take into account that I think a lot of people forget. Yeah. And that, I mean that, and that still ties into the, the idea of how far you can go with Sabonis as your best player, because if he's in a different role where he's asked to shoot the ball, shoot more and spot up more, um, that's not something he's proven to be really good at. And so uh, obviously it's not to say he can't be, he's, he's graded out pretty well from a long twos and short mid range for a long time now, I think. Um, and he has a, a he meets the threshold from a free throw percentage standpoint that you don't, you not, he's not a non-shooter or anything like that. You've seen him, uh, we've all seen him, you know, be, do well from there and do well from mid-range anyway. But 
uh, yeah, the, you would just not be maximizing him potentially if he's in a smaller role um, because he's so good with the ball in his hands as a as a high post hub and an initiator from the elbows and the low post and whatnot. So, yeah, it all ties together, and you just you have to figure out how to maximize this guy who is locked up for three more, three, four more years, four more I think, years. Yeah, right? I think it's four because he yeah, just signed he's still, he's, Yeah, because he kicks in next year with Simmons and, and Murray and Brown. Um, I always forget those. I mean, that last offseason feels so long ago that it's like, oh, man, like Ben Simmons, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, Sabon, I know, dude, started their, their extensions yet. So, uh, But, yeah, just the idea that, like, if you want to figure out how Indiana can take the next step and get back to the level they were with Paul George where they were uh, really, you know, right at Paul George's breakout when they were contending for the Eastern Conference Finals or even pushing for a finals appearance. Um, and you got to figure out how exactly you can add a little more offensive juice without, you know, alienating or isolating Sabonis too much offensively because he's he's not providing enough defensively um, to really be an all-star level player if he's if he's uh, you know alienated or whatever the phrase you want to use offensively. To yeah, agree. yeah, no, definitely, I agree. Um, and it's it's funny that you mentioned Jalen Brown because I, that was one thing that I just thought of. You know, looking back at some of the trades that almost happened or were rumored to happen, uh, there was I believe, gosh, I think it was one of the final preseason games last year. Um, right when, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but there was a moment where the people weren't sure that Sabonis was going to get extended uh, because the the deadline for his rookie extension was coming up and it was the day of that he ended up signing it. Um, And there had been a rumored extension. I mean, not rumored extension, a rumored sign and trade where it would have been a straight up swap for Sabonis and Jalen Brown. They would have uh, had their extensions uh, filled out by either team. And it's so funny because you look now, and obviously Sabonis had an incredible season, but the way that Jalen Brown has played this year and in the bubble, like there's no no two ways about that, that Boston would not even sniff at that now, which is – it's so funny to just look at how things change up over the course of a year. Yeah, and, I mean, that's – even back to the context thing, I think that, you know, that would – even if Boston wouldn't do that, I think Boston would benefit a ton from that, having someone that can run some offense through and – Whereas Indiana would really be hurt by that because Jalen is really, really good as a play finisher, attacking closeouts, spotting it up, playing in transition. Um, but when he's asked or he chooses to create, he's not very good there. And so Indiana's not a team that can create all these advantages for him, like Boston can with Kemba and, and Tatum and Hayward. So, uh, yeah, that would be a really – even now it would be a really, really good trade for Boston and one that I think Indiana would, would really be hurt by. And that's not – I mean, Jalen's obviously a very good player. He's built himself into a top 60 or top 55 player, whatever you want to say. Um, but he, but Indiana would be a spot where, like you mentioned, like his two K rating would go down a lot because he <laughs> yes. he'd be asked to create more. His true shooting would fall through or four percentage points. He maybe shoot, maybe would shoot a little more. Um, but he would look a lot worse on a team that can't create those advantages for him, and which is what he's so good at capitalizing up. And there's a lot of value in that. But he's just not he's not the guy that you want to ask him to be ask to be creating much. So um, I think it's good for Indiana that <laughs> that nothing came to of, of that because it would be a team that. Is sorely missing someone who can create his own offense on a regular basis. Um, I think Boston is probably pleased with it too because uh, I think Jalen is someone you can probably throw. You know, even if I'm lower on the league, is obviously very high on him, and he's someone that they can put into a trade for maybe that that next that that piece they need next to Tatum long term. So uh, that's I kind of remember that, but that's fascinating. I don't really remember that that news. Uh, maybe I was just out of touch with the, the Boston, the, the Indiana side of things. Last yeah, it was, year, uh, it was, it was very quick. Cause I think it, that came out and I don't, I, I remember I got it on the score. I don't remember who the, who officially broke that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very quick. And then they both signed their extensions 
like a couple hours after that. So I think it died down pretty quick. Um, but, you know, just in closing a little bit, I would ask you, how would you, if say you're, okay, Jackson Frank, general manager, president of basketball ops, whichever one counts for whatever organization you're part of, it's hard to <laughs> yeah. tell anymore. Exactly. Um, but if you were handling this off season and you were making trades, you're doing whatever, um, how would you handle things and what direction would you want to see the team take? So, yeah, the direction I would want them to take is to, to continue to try to build around this core. Um, because as I mentioned, I think Indiana was really good this year. And um, even if the, the sweep left a sour taste in their mouth, like this was a team I think, like I mentioned, can win a series and be a team that's vying for a three or a four seed, maybe even a two seed, if, depending on what happens with Milwaukee or Toronto with Lowry continuing to age. So um, that's what I would do. But I would also be quietly aggressive in shopping Oladipo to an extent. Um, it does seem like there's a lot of noise surrounding that thing to Miami, and I wouldn't want to lose him for nothing. Um, and, you know, it's a tough balance because he was so good to you. He was a top 10, top 12 player, um, a guy that can be the best player on a, a team that wins a series. And they almost did win a series, obviously. So, um, But it just does seem like you know, there's just been so many rumors and reports over the last year or so, and especially during this summer, um, that seems like he isn't going to resign. I wouldn't want to lose him. I would want to still maximize him. So I would, like I mentioned, it's tough to do, but I would be quietly aggressive seeing so, you know, I can get for him on the trade market, seeing who wants to take a shot on him for one year. Um, it's kind of funny. They're almost like identical to the Paul George thing. I know, man. Um, it's uh, it's it's funny because there are a lot of uh, a lot of ways in which it's similar, but a lot of ways where it's not. I think, um, I think Vic is much happier to be in Indiana than, than Paul ever was, just from from everything I know. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a whirlwind of a year, man. I think this is by far the uh, the biggest year for Kevin Pritchard in, in the front office. Cause I, and, and not in a, a dire way, but I think if you mess up this year, um, then there's going to be some severe ramifications moving forward. But regardless, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It's uh, going to be a lot of great stuff to write about and talk about. Um, Jackson, thanks a ton for coming on, man. Uh, what are you working on and uh, where can people find you at? Uh, right now? I don't, I mean, I've got some, some draft stuff that I'm, I'm working on. I'm hoping I can, uh, find something else to write about with the the playoffs. Um, you know, the draft stuff is fun, but I but I really enjoyed being able to pick up on that that Tatum development with his passing and and explore that. So, um, hoping maybe some I catch something with tonight's games. Um, maybe maybe tomorrow with I mean the Houston LA series is fascinating a lot already for these first two games. But um, just some draft stuff that I um, I haven't really formally started, but I've got ideas. I've got kind of started some outlines. Um, but that's kind of where I'm, I'm sure I'll do some Sixer stuff in the next few weeks. Um, probably once they hire a coach, I don't know, or once <laughs> they restructure their front office, whatever's going on there, it seems like that's been swept under the rug after Brett Brown was fired a week and a half ago. But, um, so the, the, the short way to answer that I answered in a long manner, uh, is nothing currently on the horizon, but, um, I will be sure to have lots of content. I won't, won't go, go won't go dormant on that front. Um, I don't have anything crystallized this at this moment awesome well i'm glad to hear man i'll be looking forward to anything that you put out um to everyone listening at home be sure to rate and review on apple podcasts and spotify uh check us out anywhere else you can get your podcasts read us over at indie cornrows be sure to go read any of jackson's work and follow him on twitter jackson thanks for coming on man you have a good rest of your day likewise thank you